unscripted. Each episode is available to view on YouTube, so be sure to check us out. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. The evil belongs to him, and he's already ruined his family. Don't let him ruin yours, too, right? And, and what I mean by that is don't let the evil actions of a deranged man steal your faith from you. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Saints Unscripted. Sabrina and I are here with Jennifer Roach. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Now, Jennifer, um, you are really a fascinating, a fascinating figure in our in our faith. Uh, you converted actually from Anglicanism mm-hmm. only like three years three ago. Three years ago. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you're thrown into this world of you know making the rounds with Latter Day Saint shows and podcasts and whatnot. But but that's not nearly all of your background. T- tell us a little bit more about. Um, who you are. Yeah. So I, I grew up outside of the Latter-day Saint tradition. I, um, kind of broadly Protestant before I became an Anglican. I actually, after college, I got a master of divinity. I got ordained. I've worked in Christian churches most of my life. Um, the short story is three years ago, I read the book of Mormon and I knew I had to change my life. And so I did, I gave up my ordination and got baptized. Um, in addition to the work I was doing in churches, I'm also a licensed mental health therapist. So that brings a little bit to the topic of today. Um, my own experience in churches growing up was of being sexually abused by one of the pastors. So this abuse and how it relates to churches has just become a, a real area of interest for me. Yeah. Yeah. So recently there's been a, a story that's come out from the Associated Press that has really just been this, portrayed itself as this scandalous expose mm-hmm. on on how the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is covering up or has been covering up abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically in children. Specifically, yeah, child abuse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, can you tell us what your reaction has been to that story so far? Yeah, uh, I was devastated. So I read that story same time everybody else did mm-hmm. two weeks ago. I think it was Thursday morning. Um, and I, I was here in Utah for a conference, so excited to go to this conference and see a bunch of my friends present and, and things like this. And as soon as we all had gotten together, the realization of, oh, this is bad. And there has to be some kind of helpful response to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so my my luck was I was with a bunch of friends when it came out and, and got to start thinking of like, what is this going to do to people's faith? Like, how does a person who isn't used to kind of living in the cesspool of, of abuse issues, how are they supposed to understand this without their faith taking a hit? So that's really where I have focused my energy in the last two weeks. Hmm. Yeah. And I know that we like at Saints and Scripted have got plenty of messages mm-hmm. from people just like heartbroken, concerned, Mm -hmm. and they really want us to address this. And I think sometimes addressing topics like this can be tricky, Um, but we heard you and we know that it's important. So it's the most horrific abuse case I have ever heard in my life, far and away worse 
than any client I've ever treated. You have done more research on this mm -hmm. case specifically than either yeah, of us mm -hmm. combined. Can you give us a rundown of specifically what we're talking about? Yeah, so the case is actually, it, it starts out as an old case. This has been around for a long time. Um, the Arizona Republic is the newspaper there and they've been writing about this case for years. So it's not new information. But the reason that it became new is the the AP reporter, who is a, who really is a fantastic reporter in a lot of regards, um, he is an expert on this topic and has previously produced really great work on it. Hmm. So someone someone gives him some sealed documents in a separate case. These are the twelve hundred documents that are referred to in that AP article. He takes those unrelated documents and uses them to imply some things about this Arizona case that there isn't actually any documentation available for, um, but they're making inferences based on a separate case that there's a lot of questions about. All those documents are sealed. We don't have any access to them. We actually don't even know what year that West Virginia case happened. Um, it, it involves the helpline as well. Um, the helpline got founded in 1995. So is this a 1995 case when perhaps the rules were really different? Mm. Or is this a case from two years ago? We just don't know. Mm. So that's why this case got in the news. So uh, I guess the next question would be, the church came out with a newsroom article a couple days ago mm -hmm. saying, this is probably the strongest. Yeah, I, um, I was feeling I was like, this is sternly it, worded. It, it, yeah, it was very strongly yeah. worded from the church. Probably the strongest worded thing, that's terrible mm -hmm. grammar, that I've seen in a long time. Uh -huh. um, saying this is this portrayal is wrong mm -hmm. of the church. And here's why. Yeah. And here are some of the errors. Um, did that change your perspective on this case? I was actually incredibly grateful to read what they had written mm -hmm. because a lot of what... I've been out trying to say for the last two weeks is just me and some friends pouring through the documents and trying to piece everything together. Mm -hmm. And so when the church kind of came out and was saying the same things that we have been saying, I felt like, well, thank goodness. Yeah, <laughs> like, at least I'm on the right track that we reached these conclusions independently. So it didn't change my opinion. Um, but I, I'm with you. I loved that statement. I thought yeah. it was strongly worded and, and helpful and needed. Yeah, I think that sometimes um, when we're talking about things that are sensitive as this, we tend to polarize really quickly yeah. and say, you know, oh, my gosh, the church is awful. This is all a big conspiratorial cover up. Mm -hmm. Or we say, no, this AP article is completely wrong. The church is completely right and should be absolved of any fault here. What's kind of your take on, yeah. on that? Um, the AP article gets some things wrong. That's clear. They, they actually get even more things wrong than the church lists in there. That's a different story. Hmm. However, the abuse really happened. They mm -hmm. didn't get that wrong. These children have really suffered. They didn't get that wrong. I don't know to the degree that decisions from our church made those kids' lives harder. That information is not clear, despite what the AP article infers, that it is extremely clear. It's actually not. Mm -hmm. um, to the degree that if we made their lives harder, we can we can help with that, right? Like there's, there's avenues to, to fix that. If something is going wrong in the helpline, we can fix that. This is not um, the church being the big bad monster here to 
I mean, just to be frank, the monster here is is Paul Adams, the husband. The husband. The he father. he abuses his children. He um, he's he's horrific in his abuse of children. He's ruined those kids' lives in some ways. I hope and pray for healing for them. I hope you do too. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the evil belongs to him, and he's already ruined his family. Don't let him ruin yours too, right? And, and what I mean by that is don't let the evil actions of a deranged man steal your faith from you. He doesn't get to do that. Like his, his, he's passed, he committed suicide in jail before his trial. Mm-hmm. Um, if you allow his evil to just completely slime your faith and ruin it, he's still committing evil from beyond the grave. Do not let him do that. Do not let somebody like that win. Yeah, and it makes me think about, and I know that it's a very like different type of case, but it makes me think about um, like Mark Hoffman, for example, mm-hmm. or people like that that were members of the church but did things that were awful and you just mm-hmm. like only hold on to what they did or what that caused specifically, like mm-hmm. that... You're like letting them give you their evil, right? Yeah, yeah. You're letting them give you your evil. Don't do that. Um, in terms of the the situation of, like, do we hold these bishops responsible for not reporting? I think a lot of people, any sane adult who has read this article, has probably had the thought of, well, I would have, I would have reported on the spot. I don't care what I got told. I would have done it. And I had, I had those feelings too. Um, However, it's really hard to imagine that these bishops are just sitting on their hands in their nice, comfy home. Oh, that girl's getting getting assaulted tonight, and I just yeah, can't no. be bothered. That's not what happened. That's ridiculous. Yeah, no, I, I would imagine that ate him up inside. There's a, yeah. a voice recording of, of one of the bishops that the AP releases. It's just a little 30-second clip, but you can hear in his voice that he 100% believed he was not allowed to report. Why he believed that, I don't know. Was that the right thing for him to believe? I don't know, Um, but he believed it. And you can, if you know how to listen for truth in somebody's voice, you can hear that in his voice. That is what he believed. It doesn't mean he wasn't doing anything. They were trying to get this family to report, trying all Mm -hmm. of the things that they thought they could do. Ultimately, it didn't work. Three years after um, anything is confessed about this, the guy gets excommunicated, um, yeah. which is which is unfortunate. The abuse continues, yeah, like, right? That like, doesn't stop it. Yeah. yeah, that's that's hard and sad, and and those kids have a right to be angry about that. To be honest, so I'm not a lawyer, obviously, uh, nor but, am I. <laughs> yeah, but, but what from what I've read, um, Arizona law gives an ecclesiastical leader the option to report it or not report it. And uh, according to the AP article, this bishop was told that you can't report it, which is where people then turn the finger to Mm -hmm. the helpline and say, well, they're just trying to sweep this under the rug. Because they should have said report it. Yeah. I'm assuming as a therapist, you Mm -hmm. probably work with Latter-day Saints and probably abuse cases, and you probably have some experience with the helpline. What's your understanding or or take on the helpline? So I do not have any direct experience with the helpline. I have never called it. That's for bishops, I suppose. I'm not a bishop or state president. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, However, here's my non-lawyer thoughts on it. Um, 
the helpline is needed for a couple of reasons. Number one, every state in the United States, never mind all of the countries around the world, have slightly different rules on reporting. Mm-hmm. Um, some states have the situation you were talking about where clergy are allowed an option to not report. Other states don't have that at all, and the report has to be made within 24 hours. The helpline mm-hmm. is there in part to help a bishop understand what are the rules where I live, yeah. right? Because those rules are different in Kansas and Florida and California. So on the legal side, it, it's needed for that reason. Number two, one of the criticisms I have heard is, like, if this helpline really was to help children, wouldn't we have therapists or social workers answering the phone or, mm-hmm. or at least being the first line on the phone? Mm-hmm. And it, it's kind of a funny question to me because I'm a therapist and you absolutely do not want me collecting forensic evidence. Mm. The way that a therapist interviews a client is vastly different than what needs to happen in the collection of evidence if we're talking about a crime that has been committed. And in fact, there are some famous cases where therapists were given that responsibility to interview children or other participants in in an abuse case and things went really really bad you do not want a therapist being the person who does that having said that there are therapists who work for the helpline it's not just lawyers the lawyers are there for the legal part and the therapists and social workers are there to help figure out how do we support this family or this child or whatever's going on do you do you think that the church is doing enough in their efforts to to address child abuse? Yeah, Yeah, so, I mean, that's a really great question. I want to acknowledge today's 2022, post Me Too, Mm -hmm. right? Five years ago, abuse was not treated the same way. The world has radically changed in five years around issues of abuse. I grew up all through my 20s, 30s, and 40s, occasionally talking about abuse. And the answer from someone in authority was always something like, I'm really sorry that happened to you, but there's nothing we can do about that. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the was attitude. Like five years ago? Five years ago. Oh, my gosh. When, when the Me Too shift happens, all of a sudden, like, society gets caught up pretty fast on that issue. But a lot's happened in the last five years, and maybe we have short memories. And so how this case was handled five years ago, which is roughly when it was going on, we see it differently today. So the Mm -hmm. average adult reading this story is looking back on this case saying, I would have done this or I would have done that. Well, I don't actually believe that because I lived in pre-Me Too America and people didn't do that. Mm -hmm. So... So, and that's not to justify what happened at all. It's just to provide some context on on how we've changed. Yep, absolutely. And what are some ways maybe that you might know that have changed in like the past five years, for example? Um, Well, people people are much more likely to take abuse stories serious. They're much more likely to prioritize victims over abusers. And I mean, honestly, you see that in our church too. If you track the changes that have happened in the in the handbook and on the church website in terms of dealing with abuse issues, it has gotten more and more and more and more clear. Victims are the priority, Mm -hmm. right? Like just all of us in society up until very recently did not deal well with this issue and we're getting better, but it's really hard to apply the understanding that we have today, looking back just five years, 
it was kind of a different world. Yeah. So maybe let's talk about faith for a minute. Mm -hmm. uh, you're, I, I think it's probably fair to say that you're still a recent convert. It's been a few years. Recent-ish. Recent-ish. Yeah. <laughs> been a few years. Um, but you have personal experience uh, with abuse mm -hmm. amongst uh, ecclesiastical leaders. Mm -hmm. You have personal experience having a faith transition mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. um, how does this story affect your faith as a Latter-day Saint? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, most people who go through some kind of abuse that's tied to a church in any way end up walking away from their faith. And I have a lot of compassion on them. I don't judge them one bit for that. Mm -hmm. I don't actually know what it is in my personality that makes me turn towards faith more, um, but it has been the only thing that has gotten me through the last three years. It was three years ago that I was taking my church to court for abuse. Um, so faith, has been everything for me in this and i mean more than more than 10 times in the last couple of weeks i've had a conversation with someone with them saying like how do i hang on to my faith knowing my church may have acted in a way that i really feel uncomfortable with mm -hmm. um and for me it's a you just like you got to roll that way 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 back your faith is not in did the helpline make the correct call every single time. Yeah. If that's what your testimony is is based on, like it ain't gonna go well for you because humans are gonna make mistakes, right? Our faith is not in that. Our faith is in a heavenly father and his son, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. They saw fit to provide for us a church because we need a church, right? And this church is us. And we are facing down our own imperfections when we face down this story. The thing I would love to 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 just drag some people towards is you don't have to give up your your faith when you hear a story like this. And in fact, your faith can be strengthened to say, like, this is the exception. This is not how we're doing it. I can show you lots of reasons why our church does not welcome or harbor predators, especially predators for children. Um, to me, that's faith building, not yeah. faith destroying. Yeah. And I mean, I think also the, the more recent statement from the church for me was faith building, just mm -hmm. knowing that they're, they're not just going to let it sit there with people not knowing more about it. Yeah. I that's can, can I tell you two um, kind of hidden child safety features in the church that most people don't recognize? Please of course. Do. Um, they're the two most boring things in our church in some ways, and yet they provide protection for kids that we don't often talk about. One is the member number system. Like, is that the most boring thing in the, the world? Member numbers? Like, how many you know, members there are? Every every member has a, every oh, no. member gets a number. Oh yeah, you have like your little your little ID, your little ID number. Oh oh yeah yeah, yeah yeah. So your barcode. Your barcode, right? <laughs> so bishops and other leaders can make notations on your record if yeah. you have proven yourself to be unsafe around children or vulnerable people. That number follows you. Yeah. You mm -hmm. can't move to Brazil and not have that number follow you, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So in other churches. If you do something to harm a child, you, you just away. pack yeah. up and run away. Chances are very, very good. Charges are never going to be filed. And if they are filed, they're never going to stick because that's how abuse cases happen. 
move to the next town over and you are free and clear. Mm. Um, so something as boring as having a member number is a safety feature for children. Mm. Somebody new arrives in one of our wards, Bishop can easily see a notation on that person's number. Don't call them to primary. Yeah. Right. Um, the, if you're, if you follow the news at all, back in May, the Southern Baptists were in the news for their sexual abuse scandal. Five years ago, um, advocates from kind of the abuse community were trying to pressure the Southern Baptists to create a member number system modeled on ours. Hmm. Wow. Right? They actually refused. Um, too hard, too complicated. People move too much. We couldn't possibly do that. Right. And and I look at ours and go, somehow somebody figured this out. It's yeah. the world's most boring thing. <laughs> and yet, uh, whatever word is going to get a heads up when yeah. when Joe Child Molester shows up. So, yeah. so that's one. The other one, equally as boring, is the fact that you can't volunteer. You can't just raise your hand and ask for a calling. You got to wait mm -hmm. in in non LDS churches. You show up on a Sunday. And if you're a child predator and you have in your heart the desire to get access to children, you could be sitting in Sunday school with kids in a matter of months. Hmm. You, you might have to jump through some hoops for them. You might have to do a background check. Background checks are pointless 99% of the time because abuse doesn't get reported and all of these reasons. But you can show up and, and have a kid in your lap in three months. Hmm. In our church... <laughs> You, you're a predator, you want access to children, you join the local ward, you might get called as the assistant librarian. <laughs> okay, serving that calling for three years. Finally, I got released, maybe I'll get a primary calling. Nope, you are now finance clerk, right? Like an abuser wants easy access to children, not access that he has to wait for six years for. <laughs> I can't tell you a number of how many kids have those two incredibly boring things protected in our church, but I know that they have. Hmm. Yeah. And that's not necessarily to, you know, be bashing on these other churches, not at but, all. but just to show how we're different in some respects and that we do try to take this seriously. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I don't know, I have kind of a tough question, but mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I think that as I seen this kind of go around and people responding to it with whether they're on whatever polarizing side, there's been a lot of concern that, um, that the church maybe cares more about their their image mm. as as you know like a upstanding religion than the lives of individual children yeah. even what how would you re respond to that it, it, i mean a couple of responses one in this case that logic just does not make sense who's the predator being protect that would be protected here it's a dad who from the evidence i've seen wasn't even endowed hmm. I say that because his disciplinary counsel was handled at the ward level, not the stake level. Um, so he probably is not even a doubt. He mm. attends the ward maybe four times a year. Which is interesting because the AP article, I believe, says that he's a faithful. It says active, yeah. mm. which means something technical to us yeah. and not necessarily to the the rest of right. the Christian world. Mm -hmm. So when, when we hear active, we think that means, oh, he's an yeah, adult, like surely. Week, yeah. yeah. That was not the case for this guy. So, like, what exactly would the church gain by protecting, protecting a guy like that? Like, it doesn't even make sense. This isn't a, a leader in the church. Mm -hmm. This isn't somebody, like, 
some some high up authority that we have to protect his reputation. Like it does, the question is nonsensical in mm -hmm. one sense. Um, and then my other answer to that is, you know, this helpline. I wish I had I wish I had great numbers for you. I don't. There are many, 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 many times when we have gotten it right, where kids mm -hmm. have been protected. If the if the idea was let's protect our our own skin, that would be the consistent advice from the helpline, wouldn't it? Like, why would they tell some cases? Yeah, you have to turn that guy in. Um, like, it just doesn't make sense. I understand the frustration of people from the outside of the church who are looking in on this case going, what in the world is happening here? Mm -hmm. And that's a, a cynical read of the of the situation. They just want to protect themselves. Dig below the surface and I don't think there's anything there. Hmm. That said, I think it is totally fair, though, to say at the same time, two things. One, uh, this isn't some conspiracy on the part of the church. Correct. But at the same time, you can still say... I think they got some things wrong here. Yeah, yeah. Those two things can coexist. And I think that's a really important, I, that's where I am, yeah, honestly. Mm -hmm. I, again, I don't have all the facts, but when I look at it, and of course hindsight is twenty twenty, mm -hmm. right? But when I look at it, I think, okay, I don't think that, you know, Russell M. Nelson is there, you know, scheming behind the scenes, yeah. this 90, what, seven-year-old guy. Almost 98, yeah, <laughs> next month. <laughs> I don't think he's back there like, the reputation of the church. We must. This yeah, guy yeah. in in this small Arizona town is gonna. Yeah. I don't think that's happening. But at the same time, I can. I, you know, maybe they made the wrong call. Mm -hmm. and, and if that is the case, that's that's really really unfortunate. And I love in the church's statement how strongly they come out and say, like, the church does not respond very often yeah. to what people are saying about the church. Yeah. But in this case, they came back and they said, any abuse that is happening to children is, is disgusting. Yeah. It has to stop. We do not support it. We condemn it in the strongest terms. They don't say in there that, that they made all the right decisions, Correct. Mm -hmm. but they take their stand and they say, we are against this unequivocally. Let me, let me add in one little piece of information from the court documents that rounds that out a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, the most frustrating thing in this case is that the mom is not helpful. She's quite mentally ill. Mm -hmm. um, she, has, she It's well learned. She has reasons to be. She's married to that man. She had her own abuse before she got into that marriage where she herself was being abused, right? Mm -hmm. So so we give her lots of grace. However, um, <laughs> there's a transcript of, of one of the FBI agents talking and he's recounting a phone call that he has with the mother. And the mother says, I need you to know I've been lying. Like, and, and I just have these pre-made up answers in my head that I always give to people. And I've been doing that with you. And he's like, okay, you know, thank you for telling me that. And then she goes on in the same phone call to continue to lie. Mm. Um, she's an incredibly unreliable witness. At one point, um, the bishop asks her, which I think is a really, really reasonable question. He asks her, how far is too far? How far are you going to let this go before you protect your kids? Mm -hmm. To me, that indicates Bishop believes it has not crossed some line at this point. Like, at least there's questions in his mind of what, how far is going to be too far. Her answer to him is, if he ever lays a hand on the children, I will leave with them. Well, he'd been laying hands on those children for quite some time. Mm 
-hmm. And so she's she gives the, the the wrong information to the bishop. At other times, she appears to be giving graphic and detailed information to the bishop. But when someone is giving you information about their lives and they give two contradictory stories, I'm a therapist and I don't always know what to do with that. Yeah. And you you want to believe the good, the better story, yeah. right? Like the better outcome. So, so yes, 20, 2020 hindsight, we all wish that something would have happened different. Where exactly did this process break down? That is not yet clear. We don't have documents that tell us that. Interestingly enough, the Arizona grand jury took up the case of the two bishops. This was last year, asking, should there be criminal charges here? The results of grand juries are secret, so we don't know what they decided. But generally, a grand jury is not super shy about issuing charges if they have found a crime. Charges have not been issued against these two. One of them was a medical doctor. His license wasn't revoked. So there is information that explains those two realities. We don't have access to it. Mm -hmm. I just want to advocate for being humble enough to say it looks this way. And there's a lot we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when we were, we were talking about how this, like, what does the church have to gain about protecting <laughs> this sort of dude? But I, I have been thinking about... What hope can we have mm. if it were someone who is in a higher position? If it were oh. someone who is more important and damaging their reputation would kind of yeah. be scary. Um, I mean, my mind just flashes to the, the events from church history where even apostles sometimes get excommunicated, right? Mm. We have a history of kicking people out of the church when things go wrong. Is that some guarantee that like, if it was happening at that level that they would? I can't say, but I don't think we have a church that's shy about disciplining even top leaders. Yeah. it's a good point. Okay. Well, thank you so much for everything that you shared. I feel like I've learned a lot. I'm like, it's really emotional still. I kind of feel like I've been on the edge of tears a couple of yeah. times, but um, I guess a concluding question <laughs> would be, what can we do as just like any average member mm -hmm. in terms of this sort of thing. Yeah, the kind of person who's not setting church policy, you yeah. don't run the church helpline. No, and maybe not even personal experience with abuse too. Correct. So anybody. most adults have a misperception about how kids and teenagers disclose abuse. Adults exchange information with each other in really direct ways. I need an appointment with you on Tuesday at three and I'm going to sit down for my appointment and I'm and we're going to have an agenda right. and I'm going to tell you what I need to tell you. Do you think a six year old discloses that way? No. Do you think even a 14 year old discloses that way? No, they don't. The research um, from a group called Child USA, they kind of like own this disclosure space. So they have the best research on this. What they say is the main two ways that kids or teenagers disclose is number one, by far the biggest way is on accident. Hmm. The kid says something that's weird. Yeah. And, and an adult picks up on an it. An adult picks up on it, asks some follow-up questions and is willing to, to stay with it it might take 12 conversations with that kid mm -hmm. before you actually get the information because they don't even know they disclosed something weird because in their family or in their situation, what they're talking about is normal. Yeah. So here, here's an example. 
if you're just a normal adult in the ward and one of your kids' friends says to you, oh, the funniest thing happened. I was laying in bed with my dad and the dog did this thing. As an adult, I'm gonna go, oh, interesting. This is an 11 year old girl talking about laying in bed with her dad. Right. Now, is that wrong? Not necessarily. My kids were still coming into our bed at 11, right? Yeah. Like that's not an odd thing, but I would wanna remember that detail and kind of keep it in the back of my mind with that kid. Maybe ask some follow-up questions, because maybe it's nothing, mm -hmm. right? But that also could have been the beginning of an accidental disclosure. Mm -hmm. Here's the other way that kids and teenagers disclose, is they do this like breadcrumb method, and it's infuriating for adults, because <laughs> what they do is they'll put something out there on the table, and they're testing to see what's your response gonna be. Mm. If you underreact, they ain't, they ain't putting stuff on the table for you again. And if you overreact, oh, pff, I was just kidding. Why do you take everything so serious? Ugh, yeah. So it's crazy making for us adults, but the adult in that situation should put that in the back of their mind and like as casually as you can, mm -hmm. like bring it up, try and talk with these things about kids. Honestly, my heart goes out to like a bishop level person in a ward, middle-aged guy, he's probably a general contractor. The <laughs> last thing in the world that he wants is to pick up a detail from a teenage girl when she says something about her underwear, Yeah. right? Because now he's afraid of sounding creepy, mm -hmm. but he might have just missed an accidental disclosure or a breadcrumb disclosure. And so learning how to listen to kids and getting some courage about like, okay, I'm gonna stick my neck out for this kid. Yeah. Somebody might think that I'm being creepy yeah. and, I'm gonna, and I'm gonna risk my own self to try and save that kid. That's what I wish our energy was turning towards instead of all the, I just would have drove down their driveway and taken all those children myself. <laughs> like I, there's part of me that loves the, the kind of cowboy impulse of that. But you wouldn't have done it. No, I wouldn't no. have done that. And most people wouldn't. And you know why? It's because they wouldn't have missed the disclosure from the kids in the first place. Mm -hmm. So learning to listen to kids is really the best thing okay. that adults can do. Yeah. That's so complicated. The sociology behind <sighs> yeah. it all. Like, you just wish it would be so straightforward. You and... wish that six-year-old would set an appointment with you. Yeah. <laughs> 3.30, I'm going to give you all the details. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean... Of course, our hearts go out to, to the mm -hmm. victims of, of this case. It's absolutely reprehensible. Hopefully, if there are things to learn from it, we learn from it, mm -hmm. you know, and we make adjustments and, and, uh, and can get better at handling these situations. Um, and we'll see what comes to light in the future about this. You know, maybe, maybe there are some things that have been reported incorrectly. The church has already mentioned some of them, but uh, complicated stuff, sensitive topic. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. If you want to watch our videos, check us out on YouTube or shoot us a message on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter.